Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Richard Nixon liked Spiro Agnew because he presented himself as an uncompromising champion of law and order. In 1968, Agnew was the governor of Maryland. When riots broke out that year in Baltimore after the assassination of Martin Luther King, Agnew put them down by bringing in thousands of National Guardsmen and U.S. Army soldiers. We have local police, state police, and federalized troops on the scene, in control. We know now as never before that the mob is no ally of civil rights. Nearly 6,000 people were arrested over the course of four days. Six were killed. When it was all over, Agnew invited a group of civil rights leaders to the state office building in Baltimore. He proceeded to give a speech in which he chastised them for being anti-white radicals. It is not evil conditions that cause riots, but evil men, he said. I cannot believe that the only alternative to white racism is black racism. Richard Nixon chose Governor Spiro Agnew of Maryland for his vice president. As Nixon's running mate in 1968, one of Agnew's primary missions was to lure in white Southern Democrats. And the leaders of the Southern delegations said they were absolutely delighted to have won this victory. The recruitment of these disaffected voters was known as the Southern strategy. In pursuing that strategy during the 68 election, Nixon took full advantage of his future vice president's knack for stirring racial resentment. It was the perfect division of labor. Nixon kept his hands clean, while Agnew said everything Nixon's silent majority wanted to hear. When Watergate hit, Spiro Agnew applied his over-the-top rhetorical style to defending Richard Nixon. Sometimes the presidency is like being a jackass caught in a hailstorm. You've got to just stand there and take it. Well, President Nixon has been standing there and taking it ever since Senator Irvin has been doing his rain dance in that Washington committee room. In July of 1973, Spiro Agnew, that pillar of law and order, found out that he was under criminal investigation. Involved are possible charges of bribery, extortion, and tax evasion. He and some of his closest political associates are under scrutiny in an investigation of an alleged kickback scheme involving building contracts. Federal prosecutors said Agnew had started taking bribes in 1962, and then he continued to do so as vice president. Here is journalist Elizabeth Drew, who covered Watergate for The New Yorker. So here you had the vice president sitting in his office at that point in the executive office building next to the White House, with people turning up with these envelopes full of cash. I want to say at this point, clearly and unequivocally, I am innocent 
of the charges against me. After weeks of negotiating with prosecutors as well as White House lawyers, Agnew pleaded no contest. Under the terms of his deal, he would serve no prison time, but he would have to resign the vice presidency. In her book, Washington Journal, Elizabeth Drew writes that the vice president's ouster caused a frenzy in the nation's capital, that the restaurants were louder than usual, that the city felt drunk. We were kind of on a high. We'd never been through anything like this before, and we didn't know where it was going. Until I started doing research for this show, I had no idea that Nixon's vice president was forced out of office during the climax of Watergate in a bribery scandal that was totally unrelated to Watergate. It was just this separate controversy that happened to unfold at the exact same time as this other, even more consequential controversy. But how separate could it be, really? Think about the past year, when we've had to process four or five major news stories every day. Those stories don't feel separate. They feel like overlapping subplots in the same chaotic narrative. Agnew's resignation, which came 10 days before the Saturday Night Massacre, is part of the Watergate story. If nothing else, it served as an accelerant, helping to ignite the firestorm that ultimately pushed Richard Nixon towards his downfall. This worked in two ways. The first was practical and political. While Agnew was vice president, Nixon regarded him as his impeachment insurance. The idea was that Democrats wouldn't dare try to remove Nixon, because if they did, they'd get Agnew, who they hated even more. When Agnew was replaced with the relatively inoffensive Gerald Ford, that bit of game theory no longer applied. Agnew's forced resignation did something else, too. It made the possibility of Nixon himself being removed from office seem much less far-fetched. Here is Nicole Hemmer, a historian at the University of Virginia who studies conservative politics. It still probably seemed crazy to think about a president resigning, but you just had this incident where a vice president had been forced to resign. And once you're on an unprecedented path, suddenly it becomes easier to imagine other unprecedented things happening. What had to happen for Nixon's removal from office to go from unthinkable to possible to certain? What prompted Nixon's enablers and protectors to abandon him once and for all? And despite everything he'd done, is there any scenario in which Richard Nixon could have survived Watergate? This is Slow Burn. I'm your host, Leon Nafok. A committee of the House of Representatives begins debate on impeachment of a president. This was the huge challenge that faced the Congress. Well, what's a high crime and misdemeanor? The way ahead shapes up as fierce and bloody Democrats versus Republicans. Episode 8, Going South. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money. 